Good morning, Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, we are honored to be here this Sunday with you to celebrate missions and all that God is doing around the world. And, and uh, yesterday was just an amazing day just to see God rewarding your faithfulness and all your efforts and hard work to bring people in your community here. And uh, Lord willing, like I said, as a result, they'll come and, and visit services and we'll hear f- people getting saved because, again, your faithfulness to serve. Again, we are the Oric family. And I know Pastor had a chance to introduce us. When people hear the name Oric, they automatically think of the vacuum cleaner guy. But everywhere I go, that's one of the first questions someone's going to ask me. Are you related to the vacuum cleaner and, vacuum cleaner and guy? And I've seen people already now that, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, but unfortunately, it's not spelt the same. Because believe me, if it were, I've been on the phone with Uncle Oric a long time ago. <laughs> asking him to help us financially get to the country of Wales a bit faster. But if it would help you remember to pray for us, maybe next time you're vacuuming here around the church or around your house, pray for the Oric family, all right? It's our desire to be in the country of Wales cleaning up for Jesus. And so um, out in the lobby, we have our, our display with our prayer cards. We have magnets that go great to the refrigerator. That's kind of where your filing cabinet in your office, uh, kind of like the hot spot there in the house, the fridge is. Or you also can sign up to receive our prayer letter every month by email. We encourage you to, to sign up for that. And we send out our, our prayer letter every month by PDF uh, through email. And we encourage you to sign up for that. And we just communicate with you as to where we are in the process of what they call deputation, which means we're traveling in the United States raising our support uh, to return to the country of Wales. Actually, we're, uh, uh, we're nine weeks away from leaving, and so we got a church there in Buckley, Wales. We'll be returning to Ebenezer Baptist Church to start our ministry, and so we're praying. Uh, just all the details that has to happen and worked out between now and then. So we appreciate your prayers as we make uh, plans for uh, the ministry that God has us for there in the country of Wales. I want to begin this morning by taking the time just to say thank you. Thank you because of your willingness to give and God's call on our life to go. I know we were here back in 2009 on a Sunday night service, but because, again, uh, God's call on our life to go and your willingness to give through the course of deputation as well as our ministry in the country of Wales where we there served, over 200 people accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. So thank you. Not only that, because of your willingness to give and God's call on our life to go, there's a family there in the country of Wales actually starting a church in a, a place called Prestatin. I know you know them because you support them, Greg and Mary Alberts. They surrendered to be missionaries while we were on deputation. We presented at their church uh, there in New Testament Baptist Church in Largo, Florida. They came forward during the missions conference and surrendered to be missionaries to the country of Wales. And again, because of your willingness to give, and God's calling our life to go. So thank you so much for your investment. And uh, I know God's using them in a great way uh, there in Prestatin, Wales. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11 is where we're going to be at this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11, and we're going to be looking at verse number 6. Now, I grew up in a small little country town in Missouri called Leslie, Missouri. Now, anybody ever heard of Leslie, Missouri? Every once in a while, I find somebody that somehow got off the beaten trail and made their way through Missouri. And Leslie was a small little country town. It was small, so small, we actually didn't have a population sign, all right, just to give you an idea about how small this little country town was. And I grew up there serving the gods of sports. Soccer, baseball, wrestling. On any given Sunday, I was playing sports somewhere, and that was just the reality of my upbringing. That was a priority in my family's life. We weren't going to church. We were playing sports. And, well, all that hard work actually paid off. By my senior year in high school, I received a scholarship to play Division I soccer at a school called Marshall University. I know we're not too far from the great state of West Virginia, so you maybe have heard of Marshall there in Huntington, West Virginia. But if you haven't, you've probably seen the movie We Are Marshall. If you've not seen that, you maybe if you follow the NFL, you've heard of probably Randy Moss or, or Chad Pennington or Byron Leftwich. I went to school with these guys. It was a school known for its sports. So for me, I was one step closer to my dream becoming a reality. 
I wanted to be a professional soccer player. In England, they call you a professional footballer, and that was the plan. The coach that recruited me to college, he played professionally in Wolverhampton, England. His plan for me was me to play four years there at Marshall, and the end of my senior season, head overseas to play. Well, everything was coming together. Everything was falling into place. In the middle of my senior season against the University of Kentucky, I was injured. And in an instant, it was all over with. I was no longer the captain of the team. I no longer played. I no, I no longer traveled the team. To be pretty honest, I was pretty bitter because that was my life. I mean, that's why I went to college. I didn't have a backup plan. So here I'm a senior in college. I'm, I'm one semester short of graduating, and my life had just been turned completely upside down. To be quite honest with you, I was pretty much a ticking time bomb. I praise God that time he brought my wife Missy into my life, a good old West Virginia girl. I know she was sharing her testimony in the Sunday school hour. And a year later, we were married, living back in Missouri. And under some difficult circumstances, God moved us to St. Petersburg, Florida. We started going to church, Park Street Baptist Church. Well, this church is something I never knew churches did before. They actually came to our house on a Thursday night and said, thank you for coming to church. We want to invite you back. Now, I had visited churches off and on growing up, but never actually had a church come visit us. And it encouraged my wife and I so much, we actually started going to Sunday school class. I remember one Sunday morning, the pastor was preaching. And he was talking about how everybody has a responsibility to be doing something. We can all be doing something. As I sat there and I listened to that message that morning, I thought to myself, what am I doing? Or what can I be doing? And I thought, no, the visitation thing. That really encouraged my wife and I to go to church. Maybe we could do that for somebody else. So I went to the pastor after the service as a pastor I want to go make visits with you. I want to encourage someone else to come to church like you've done for us. He said, all right, well, let's plan on this Saturday. We'll make some visits. So Saturday morning, September the 29th, 2001, I'm out on my very first visit. And we're in the home with a gentleman by the name of Leonard Mercer. And Leonard was certain if he were to die that day, he'd go to hell. He actually called the pastor on the phone and said, Pastor, come to my house. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. So obviously those phone calls, they don't come too often in the ministry. But when they do, it's, it's priority one. So the pastor, he's wound up. And I'm scared to death because I've, I've never done anything like this before in my life. I don't know what you're supposed to say or not say. Well, we get there. Pastor begins to show Leonard from the Bible how he could know for sure he's going to heaven. I had no idea the Bible said you could know you're going to heaven. So if anything, he's got my attention. And Leonard started talking about when he was 10 years old. He said, I remember coming forward in a church service. He said, I knew I was making a good decision, but for all the wrong reasons. I wanted my parents to be proud of me. I wanted them, I wanted them to be happy with me. He said, but since then, there's been no real evidence in my life that I really ever was saved. At that moment, I began to evaluate my own life spiritually. So I had a gift Bible that was given to me when I was seven years old that said I was saved and baptized in this little country church. To be quite honest with you, I don't recall ever once going forward in a, a church service or a, a vacation Bible school setting or a Sunday school setting where someone explained to me one-on-one -on -one what it meant to be saved. And realize this, this this morning. When you meet the God of the Bible, that's something you just don't ever get over. And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't remember even being baptized. And, and what seven-year-old forgets a chance to swim in church? But I remember that even happened in my life. And I... I began to evaluate my own life spiritually. I realized there had been no evidence. There had been no desire to serve God, to live for God. There was no conviction about the sin that I was in. And I knew right then and there what my problem was. I knew I wasn't saved. And I'm telling you what, my heart began to race. It began to pound faster than all the, the training I've done in my life. And I, but I had to keep my, compo my composure because Leonard was about to get saved. And I didn't want to mess all that up. So after Leonard got saved, we went on Pastor's White Mazda pickup truck. And on Saturday morning, September the 29th, 2001, at the age of 24, I made the greatest decision of my life. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'm telling you what, 
that moment, I was just so overwhelmed. I was so overjoyed with the fact that for 24 years, I'd lived such a reckless, wicked life that God was so gracious to spare me to hear this truth. I remember just being so overjoyed with the fact that I was forgiven that emotionally, I was a mess. And the pastor, he had other visits to make. He said, Richie, to be quite honest with you, I can't take you with me to someone else's house right now because they're going to think there's something wrong with you because you can't quit crying. And I could, and I'm telling you, I was just a mess. He said, you need to go home and you need to tell your wife, Missy, the decision you made. And so I did. I went home and I told her. And of course, she was so excited. I said, what's so crazy is I don't think God's done with this yet. And that moment, we began to seek God's face. God, what would you have us to do? Because for 24 years, I served myself. I served sports. I'd served sin. I'd served, again, everything this world had to offer. I'd wasted 24 years. I wanted my life now to make a difference. So we began to seek God's face. God, what would you have us to do? How can we serve you? And my pastor was actually discipling me at the time, and he gave me probably one of the greatest pieces of advice anyone had ever given me before. He said, Richie, when the doors are open here at the church, you need to be here. Well, it was a Wednesday night there in St. Pete, Florida, and I was actually working in, at the time, air conditioning and heating, and in Florida, you're doing a lot more air conditioning than you are heating, and, and this particular job I was on was actually a complete system replacement. Everything was located up in the attic, and a very difficult job, and, and uh, it, it, it crawling through the dirt and the dust and debris of insulation for all these years. Got the heat of the Florida sun beating down the roof. And this job was actually stretching into the afternoon, into the evening. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I had a good excuse not to go to church on a Wednesday night, this is the excuse. And, the, and immediately, the moment I began to think that way, I was reminded of a pastor's advice. Richie, when the doors are open, you need to be here. I thought, fine. I'll go to church. I'll go, I'll go late. I'll go in my work clothes, I'll go all stinky and sweaty and dirty, and I'll sit in the back thinking I'll be all alone, I won't offend anybody, but little did I realize in most Baptist churches, that's where everybody sits, and so, well, that night we had a guest missionary speaker from the country of the Philippines, and he read a passage of scripture I had never heard before. Again, I was a new believer, I'd just only been saved a few weeks. He read Isaiah 6, 8, where Isaiah said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And then he followed up with this statement. He said, there's nothing, there's nothing you'll be able to do in this life that'll have an impact on this world as well as eternity and serving God in the full-time ministry. Now that missionary had no idea who I was. He had no idea what I was wrestling with or struggling with, but I was wrestling intensely with when and how I was gonna tell my parents that God was calling my wife and I into full-time ministry. See, when we moved to St. Petersburg, Florida, the plans for my dad and I to start a heating and air conditioning business together. So I knew the news of us going off to Bible college would absolutely devastate him. But I also knew it was time to tell him. So about 12.30 in the morning that night, I finally got the nerve to go to their house and share with them what God was calling us to do. And let's just say that their response was less than encouraging. They couldn't understand how their son that they had loved and cared for and raised and sacrificed so much for would now abandon them when they needed them most. And I remember my dad, he stood up in the middle of the conversation. He told me to leave his house. He said, no son of mine would do something like that to me. To be quite honest with you, Richie, I don't believe anybody can change that fast. I'll believe it when I see it. There was a young believer. That was a very difficult circumstance to walk through, but God has rewarded that step of faith in so many wonderful ways. And this morning, I want to take the time as we... As we take the time to, again, have your mid-year uh, missions emphasis Sunday, and I think it would be important for us to all to evaluate our own walk of faith and answer a very, very pointed question, and that is this. Do we have a faith that pleases God? Do we have a faith that pleases God? Again, our text this morning, if you have your Bibles open, Hebrews chapter number 11, 
verse number six, we're going to find that there are four things that are absolutely essential in order to have a faith that pleases God found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six. And God's word records, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you for this day, God, you've given us. Thank you so much for this church, Battlefield Baptist Church, and the lighthouse that it has been and continues to be in this community, God. Lord, I realize again, this, this Sunday, God, you have a purpose for every single individual that's seated within this sanctuary this morning. I realize, God, you don't bring us here by mistake. I hope we all understand that this, this morning, that we realize, God, that you, the God of all creation, want to meet with us. I pray, God, we set aside all the cares and the concerns of this world, all the distractions, all, the, all the, the, the schedules and the busyness of life, God, and we allow you, Lord, just to arrest our attention for these next few moments as we're in your word. And I pray, God, as a result of what we hear, Lord, not only will we be challenged, but we will be changed with the desire to serve you greater. Lord, if there's someone that's unsaved today, today will be that day where they trust Christ as the Lord and Savior. And we praise you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, there are four things that are absolutely essential in order to have a faith that pleases God, found here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. If we're to have a faith that pleases God, the Bible says, first of all, we've got to simply come to God. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God. We must possess a faith that is simply obedient. A faith that is obedient. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about a true Bible faith. He says, a true Bible faith, a true Bible faith is a confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. A true Bible faith is a confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. To illustrate a Bible faith this morning to you and what an obedient faith looks like, I want you to keep your finger here in Hebrews eleven six, but I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14, we'll pick up in verse number 25, and just want to illustrate for you this morning what, a, what a, an obedient faith looks like, and what God is able to do in an individual's life when they're willing to say yes to Jesus, despite the circumstances or the consequences. Matthew chapter number 14, and verse number 25, we read in verse number 25, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying... It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee under the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked in the water to go to Jesus. Verse number 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? I think it's amazing here. Peter's faith was put in action by his immediate obedience to God's call on his life, despite the potential consequences, despite the circumstances that, that surrounded him at that, at that moment in his life. And it's amazing that when Peter's heart and his mind and his eyes were focused on Jesus Christ, he was willing to step out of the boat in obedience to God's call in his life. And as a result, he was able to do the miraculous. He was able to do something that no man was able to do within their own power. He was able to walk on water. But the Bible says in verse number 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. What happened? Peter took his eyes off Jesus. He began to focus on his storm. He began to focus on his circumstance. And as a result, his faith began to waver. 
believe it or not, understand this this morning. We're all going to experience storms in our lives. Sometimes those storms will come through our health. Sometimes those storms will come through the call that God has placed in our lives. Sometimes they'll come through our occupation. Sometimes they'll come through relationships. Sometimes they'll come through our finances. But realize this. It's during those times that we too must keep our hearts and our minds and our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and continue to plow forward, understanding that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So this morning, if we're to have a faith that pleases God, the Bible says, first of all, we've got to simply come to God. A faith that is obedient. Do you possess a faith that's obedient this morning? Are you willing to say yes to Jesus despite the circumstances or the consequences? Not only must we have a faith that is obedient, but the Bible says we're to have a faith that pleases God. In verse number six, it says we must believe that he is. We must possess a faith that is simply confident. A faith that is confident, not in who we are, not in what we know, not in our skills and our strengths and abilities, but in who God is. And that is a question that we all have to answer as we look at this passage of Scripture today and we, and we think about what God would call us to do to get the good news of Jesus Christ across the streets and across the seas is, who do you say that he is? Is he almighty or is he just all right? Is he all sufficient or is he almost sufficient? Is he not the everlasting, the creator and the sustainer of this universe, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one true and living God, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Is he not the same almighty God that causes the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the dead to rise? Is he not the same almighty God that sent his son Jesus Christ to come into this world to pay a sin debt that you and I deserve to pay because of his love and his grace and his mercy? He offers us forgiveness, and we trust him as Lord and Savior. We have the promise that when this life is over, we'll be in the presence of God for all eternity. Well, folks, understand this this morning. If he can save our souls, then he can see us through our circumstances. But do you believe that about God today? Who do you say that he is? When I look at this passage of scripture, I can't help but think of the people of Wales and what they believe about God and who do they say that he is. They truly believe that God is dead. He doesn't exist. The children, they will grow up believing that Jesus Christ is a fairy tale. And by the age of 13, they will already have learned to mock the name of God. 77% of the population claim to have no religion whatsoever. Think about that for a second. That's four out of every five people. Richard Dawkins, you saw in the video, a very well-known atheist, was just recently quoted for congratulating the people of Wales for coming out less religious than all the other countries in the United Kingdom. To that he said, well done. We've been to towns, cities, villages all throughout the country of Wales. You'll find buildings that once Bible-preaching churches, just like this church is in this community, but today those buildings are now abandoned with their windows boarded up. Or now they're furniture warehouses. Believe it or not, people are actually buying these buildings today and they're converting them into pubs, clubs, adult video stores. Muslims are actually buying these buildings today and converting them into mosques. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the country of Wales. We actually had the opportunity to serve in the capital city of Cardiff in an area called Grangetown. And Grangetown was very much like the Bronx of Wales, very much an inner city ministry. The population was predominantly Somalian, Middle Eastern, and Pakistani. We worked at a church called Cornwall Street Baptist Church, and initially this church was being pastored by a national, Pastor Thomas, who was in his 80s, 
doing all he could to keep the doors open, which is a handful of women attending services, which is very common in the country of Wales, just a handful of people just hanging on. Not often do they even have a pastor. What nights is Pastor Thomas would lock up the gates of the church, the Muslims in the community would be waiting for him. And they would ask him, when are you going to die so we can have this building for Allah? Could you imagine something like that happening in Warrenton, Virginia? The pastor, due to his health, his hand was shaking. He told the men, you got to be kidding me. He says, as long as there's breath in me, the lights in these buildings, they're going to stay on for Jesus. By the grace of God, that's exactly what's happening at Cornwall Street Baptist Church in Grangetown, Wales today. There are missionaries there, serving there. We had a chance to work with them, start a WANA ministry, Sunday school ministries, youth clubs, adult Bible studies. I'm telling you what God is doing, a miraculous work in this very spiritually dark part of the country of Wales. We make it work for, uh, way further down the street. You find another building that was once a Bible-preaching church, but today it's now Radio Ramadan, where the Muslim message is being broadcast all throughout the airwaves. Make way further down the street, you find another building that was once a Bible-preaching church, but today it's now the Jalalio Mosque. You look at the country of Wales, and you, you see the statistics, and you realize how spiritually dark this country is. You may ask yourself, Richie, that sounds like a really difficult place to reach, but I want you to understand this this morning. The darker the night, the brighter the light. It was a Tuesday night there in Grangetown, Wales, and one of the things we like to do on Tuesday night was have after-school youth club, and one of the things we did at after-school youth club is we play soccer with the kids. Because my background, I could get right out there and connect with the kids real fast. And we'd play soccer, we'd have sweets, we'd talk to them about Jesus. One particular night, a young boy by the name of Joshua showed up. Joshua was one of these street kids there in Wales and heard we played soccer. He wanted to come and test out his skills on the Americans. They wanted to to run circles around me. And so I'd get up there and do all I could to entertain them and keep up with them. But uh, Josh and I, we connected. And I said, Josh, I said, "Uh, I think you would enjoy if you come back tomorrow night. We have a a new program that we're starting called Awana. I said, we're going to have more games, there's going to be more treats, and we'll talk more about Jesus. Why don't you come back? So Josh agreed to come. And so if you're familiar with Awana, which I know this church is, one of the first books you work through is the Flight 316 booklet, where a child's learning John 316. So I'm working with Joshua, and he's learning a Bible verse for the very first time in his life. And he's excited, he's memorizing, doing so well. And as we're working through this book, he's starting to understand what sin is, that he's a sinner, that Jesus died for sins. And I knew by the time we got to the end of the book, we're going to talk about how a person can know they're going to heaven. So I'm praying for Josh, praying for him to be saved. He's getting it. Well, we get to the end of the book, Josh is ready. He wants to be saved. I said, I'll tell you what, tonight after Awana, I'll talk with your mom and I'll let her know where you are. So I met Josh's mom, Tracy. I said, Tracy, Josh has been working through this booklet. He's understand, he, he wants to know that he's going to heaven. And I'd love to explain that to him, but I'd also love to explain that to you. And you could tell this, when this, this was very foreign to her, that anyone had ever talked to her about heaven or hell before. But she appreciated it. She took some information, and she went on her way. And I'll be quite honest, I was pretty naive. I really thought that next week when we came back to the church, they're going to be waiting at the gates, just waiting. Please, let's have this talk about heaven. Well, the next Tuesday night came. No Joshua, no Tracy. thought, you know what, it's fine. He's been faithful to Juana. He'll be here tomorrow night. Wednesday night came. No Joshua, no Tracy. Then the next week the same, and the next week, and the next week, and this went on for multiple weeks, and we're praying, we're pleading, because we know how close Joshua was to being saved, and, and again, you realize how spiritually dark it is, and how few the opportunities are for people to even hear about Jesus, we're thinking, oh my goodness, he was so close, and you're just pleading with God, praying that somehow, can we find him, where is he, what happened to him, and weeks had gone by, and I was in the back of the building, setting up for Awana, and I heard all this commotion in the front of the building, and the teenagers came back to where I was, and their fine Welsh accents, they said, Pastor Richie, Pastor Richie, Joshua and his mum they're at the door, and they're asking for you. Joshua and Tracy had come back. And I'm telling you what, to put into words how overwhelmed I was, because we had been praying and pleading for so, it seemed like for so long. And the fact they had come back, I, I was in shock. 
I had to do all I could just emotionally just to keep it together to go to the door. And I, me- and I remember going to the door, and I'll never forget the question that Tracy asked me. She said, is it too late to have that talk about heaven? Is it too late? You know, the sad reality is for so many people around the world today it is. But for Joshua and Tracy, it wasn't. Brought him in, we sat down and began to show Joshua from the Bible what it meant to be saved. He wanted to quote John 3, 16 for his mom, and she couldn't believe he could quote a Bible verse. He was so excited, she was so proud, and he was just so ready. He bowed his head, and he prayed and trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I looked at his mom, Tracy, and just, just tears streaming down her face. I said, Tracy, have you ever heard this message of Jesus before? She said, I've never heard this message. I said, would you like to be forgiven? Would you like to know that you're going to heaven? She said, oh, absolutely. And she, too, bowed her head and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Folks, understand this this morning. People are getting saved in the country of Wales. But the problem is there's just too few that are willing to share the good news. And for the people of Wales to believe, to have a faith that is confident in who God is, someone has to be willing to go. And that's why we're here. That's why the Campbells have answered God's call in their life to go. Because if they don't, then how will the people of Wales know? So this morning, if we have a faith that pleases God, first of all, we've got to simply come to God, a faith that's obedient. We've got to believe that he is a, a faith that is confident. The third thing I want you to see this morning is this. If we have a faith that pleases God, the Bible says that we have to diligently seek him, a faith that is diligent. If we want our faith to please God, then we have to have a, there has to be a desire to seek him diligently and follow him. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Psalm 42, verse 1, the Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water books, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Folks, there needs to be a thirst, there needs to be a craving to know God and his will that is only quenched through a close, intimate walk with him. And this is where the diligent seeking takes place. And let me ask you this this morning. When's the last time you got alone with God and you diligently sought his will as to what he'd have you to do with your life? Because realize this this morning. He doesn't save us just so that we can warm a padded pew. He has a plan. He wants to use us. There are people that don't know Jesus that he has surrounded us with. And if we don't tell about Jesus, then who will? When's the last time you got alone with God and said, God, am I doing all that I can be doing to help get this good news across the streets and across the seas? Am I praying the way I need to be praying? Knowing again that the family like the Campbells who have given their life to go to this post-Christian nation, they're doing all they can to infiltrate this spiritual darkness that is so oppressive with the good news of Jesus Christ. They need your prayers. They're counting on your prayers. Are you diligently seeking God's will as to how you can be praying for him? When's the last time you diligently sought God's will as to how you can give? When's the last time you got on with God and said, God, am I doing all I can? Am I doing all I can? Realizing what's at stake. Am I doing anything? Am I willing to do something? When's the last time you diligently sought God's will as to how you can go? Do you realize there are plenty of ministries right here at Battlefield Baptist Church that are in desperate need of, a leader, of leadership? There's always a need. Are you willing to say yes? Even if it may put you in a place of discomfort. Maybe God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone and serve. Are you willing to say yes if God is calling you to take the good news across the office or across the street or across the classroom or across the table? Are we diligently seeking God's will? 
So this morning, for the faith that pleases God, first of all, we've got to come to God, a faith that's obedient. We've got to believe that he is, a faith that's confident. We've got to diligently seek him, a faith that's diligent. And the fourth thing I want you to see this morning is this. If we're a faith that pleases God, the Bible says that he, talking about God, is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must possess a faith that is simply expectant. A faith that is expectant. Why? Because God rewards faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. Let me ask you this question this morning. What are we expecting? What are you expecting when you come to church on Sunday mornings? Sunday nights? Wednesday nights, whenever else you have the opportunity to come during missions revival or missions emphasis or, or carnival days like yesterday, what do we come expecting? Do we come expecting to sit in the same familiar places, see the same familiar faces, sing songs that are comfortable to us and we begin our week that way? Or, or do we come expecting that maybe because someone's been inviting someone to church at Costco or maybe someone's been handing out tracts or someone's been praying for a lost soul that as a result, they're going to come and as a result of the preaching of the gospel and the power of God's word, that person's going to come and walk the aisles and get saved right here in your midst. Or maybe there's someone that you've been loving on and praying for and just, and just reaching out to and trying to encourage. Maybe they're that prodigal child that's been away from God for a long time. And again, because of the preaching of God's word, that person is going to come and get right, right here in these services. Or do we come expecting, that, again, the God of all creation, realizing that his word is alive, that he has a message for us, that he wants to speak to us, that we don't just come to a service just, again, because of it's routine or habit, but the God of all creation wants to meet with us. What do we expect? My wife and I learned a very powerful lesson in faith early on as believers and how God rewards. We were, again, we had just been saved, knew God was calling us to the ministry, knew we needed to go to Bible college for more training. We began to make plans and preparations to to move from St. Petersburg, Florida to Springfield, Missouri. And we knew to make that move, we're going to need about $1,500 that was going to take care of the moving truck, the gasoline for the moving truck, our first month's rent, we're going to live on campus at the Bible college, and we had to have the uh, security deposit. We had to have $1,500. So we began to prepare for that. It was about two weeks away from it was time for us to leave for Bible college, and no matter what we were doing financially, it wasn't coming together. It simply just was not adding up. And we were getting close and getting a, a little bit discouraged because we knew God was leading us to do this. And, well, my parents had reached out to me to come over for dinner. And to be quite honest with you, I was really reluctant about wanting to go to their house because if I could even put into words how... It was a very difficult time. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to go and listen to them tell me how much, once again, I have failed them, how much of a disappointment I was, what I've done to them. But I thought, you know what, we'll go. We'll have dinner. This could be the last time we see them for a while. So we went. And my grandma was living with my parents at the time. And my grandma, when I got there, asked me to come out on the back porch. I thought, oh, great. They're going to use grandma to lay a big guilt trip on me. Well, we got on the back porch. My grandma said, you know, I've been praying. I've been praying as to how I can help you go to Bible college. Wait a minute. You've been praying. How'd you know we had a need? I never shared that with you. I never shared it with my parents. I wanted them to see where where God guides, God provides. You know, so again, we were were just praying and pleading. And and, and she said, you know, there was a time when you had done some work on my house, and I never paid you for it. And she goes, and I've been praying, and this is the figure that God says I should give you. And she handed me a check. That check was for $1,500. Dollars. And I'm telling you what, you see, I'm, as a believer, I had just, a young believer, I mean, I had witnessed a miracle. I had crumbled. I could not believe what God had just done and how he had did it. I mean, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts, they are not our thoughts. I realize that. I'm still continuing to learn that. He said, well, Richie, where's the step of faith in that? Well, understand this. Before I ever got that check in my hand, it was two weeks before we would leave for Bible college. Guess what? 
I'd already put my two weeks notice in at my job. So I'd soon be unemployed. We'd already canceled the lease in our apartment. We'd soon be without a place to stay. And I had contacted the Bible college. I said, go ahead and reserve one of those apartments. We're on our way. See, it's this way. It will always be this way. It's a step of faith that comes first. And then the reward. When we're faithful to seek and serve our Savior, he is faithful to reward us. So this morning, if we have a faith that pleases God, first of all, we've got to simply come to God, a faith that's obedient. If we have a faith that pleases God, we have to believe that he is a faith that is confident. If we have a faith that pleases God, the Bible says we must diligently seek him, a faith that's diligent. And the Bible says also he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must possess a faith that is simply expectant. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.